This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Your fever is high and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on while she's sneezing, coughing, and aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us. Trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues and teas to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect coworker of yours. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. 12.03, Tuesday afternoon, February 27th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the Noon Business Hour. I'm Rob Hart. A major fast food chain is introducing surge pricing. We'll take a closer look in our next segment. But right now, with more people back in the office, it brings with it the potential for workplace bullying. Let's talk about dealing with it. We're joined by Rick Cobb, founder of the workplace consulting firm To Discern, based in Chicago. Rick, thank you for joining us today. And I think we've all had experiences with just people in the office who are flat-out jerks. And uh, it's a common experience. It cuts across all industries. But when when does antisocial behavior cross the line into office bullying? It's, it's a tough question because it's subjective. And there's three different parts to it. There's the person who's possibly uh, exhibiting bully behavior. Then there's the person or people who are affected by that and understand that according even to the law for hostile work environment uh, legislation, it doesn't have to be the person who's being bullied. It could be other people who feel harmed or threatened by the bullying behavior. And then what is critical is the culture of the company and how do they tolerate, do they allow, do they endorse, do they ignore, or do they clamp down on bullying behavior? So with that in mind, it becomes Are you the one that might be being bullied? Uh, Probably not having a conversation with the person who is the bully because they're not really typically self-aware. Are you a company where this might be something you want to pay attention to? Now, some examples of workplace bullying include uh, messages containing sexist or discriminatory remarks, embarrassing social media posts, threatening messages or emails, demeaning, belittling, or talking over someone, spreading gossip or rumors. Some of these examples of workplace bullying are things that if you see them, if you experience them yourselves or, or yourself or or see it happening to someone else, uh, you can and should, you're being directed to go to HR to report it. Yeah. Well, there again, it's subjective. You you can and you should. Those are the ethical responsibility is to, is to identify and expose it. Uh, but if there are people who certainly are in situations where they either don't have the personality or the leverage, the capital in the company to bring it forward, um, they can't afford to lose the job, or it's clear from the culture of the company that this has been going on for a long time, and the likelihood of me having the top salesperson or the chief financial officer called on the carpet by the director of human resources is low. So you then have to make a decision about whether this is something that's intolerable. Can you leave, or do you want to bring it to the fore if human resources should certainly be the first place to go, but if they're not able to address it, 
then you have to think about whether you want to take some other sort of legal action to bring it forward. We're talking workplace bullying with Rick Cobb, founder of the workplace consulting firm to discern who is most likely to be a workplace bully. Is it that person who has the power to feel that they can do so because they are a high performer? They do generate a great deal of business. They get good sales numbers. They have an impressive title. Or could it be anybody? Uh, I think power corrupts and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. And that's, that's a human behavior. And it goes all the way back to primates. You know, in the chimpanzee culture, the, the uh, chimpanzee will ingratiate themselves to the rest of the tribe until they become powerful. And then they typically do become a bully and intolerant and abusive. Now it's not to say that we're chimpanzees, but those behaviors tend to come from a natural place of personal insecurity perhaps a weakness in social cue, social behavior. I don't really know when people are kidding or people are, tra- are threatening me. So my reaction is going to be to, if I feel threatened or if I feel like this person's too cool for the room and I want to cool them off or they're a threat to me, that's when bullying behavior tends to come to the fore. And then very quickly, Rick, uh, if you are in a management position and you know this is going on, it's probably in your best interest to nip it in the bud because you could lose employees that way. There's so much that can go wrong in a culture that allows this. Yeah, you lose productivity, you lose employees. You also have people who become ineffective or go to low productivity because either the person who's bullying them is taking credit for the work, so why bother? Or they're not really developing the talent below them because that developing the talent brings them to the up to the target range of, oh, you're a threat to me now. And, and the litigation, the legal exposure, the loss of productivity, the, the toxicity in the culture, there's so many things about this that just really can wreck a company and its profitability. Rick Cobb, founder of the workplace consulting firm To Discern in Chicago. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. The price of items on the menu at Wendy's could fluctuate as the hamburger chain introduces Uber-style surge pricing. Let's discuss the strategy with R.J. Hadavi, head of analytical research at the foot traffic analysis firm Placer AI in Chicago. R.J., thank you for joining us today. And at first blush, this seems like a tactic that flies in the face of 70 years of business practices, especially in the fast food space, which built itself on consistency in quality and in pricing. Yeah, I think you're right on that, too. It certainly is a unique approach and something that a few fast food chains have talked about. But I think there's been some reluctance to actually pull the trigger on uh, on surge pricing just because, um, you know, there could be consumer backlash. There are certain expectations. But, you know, then again, too, we're dealing with a uh, new reality in terms of consumer behavior. Uh, a lot of people become accustomed to surge pricing, as you mentioned, with Uber and, and other uh, driver services, uh, things like Ticketmaster. We see surge pricing. So uh, interesting to see how this experiment may go for them. Now, at the same time, for Uber and for Ticketmaster, uh, you see a great deal of griping uh, when that surge pricing comes into effect. I mean, if, if you're leaving a concert or if it's an especially snowy night and it's a $70 Uber ride to get home when it's normally $25, uh, nobody's saying, oh, I understand this. This is surge pricing. This is the law of supply and demand. They're saying, I'm getting gouged here. Same thing with yeah. tickets. Uh, will they be uh, nearly as understanding with Wendy's? I don't know if they will be, and I think that's the big risk here. Is um, I get it from the restaurant's perspective. I mean, they're they're dealing with labor shortages, they're dealing with higher costs. 
Uh, there are periods that you know they might need to raise prices to uh, to offset some of that. And if you can do it in situational situa- situational uh, occurrences, uh, it makes sense. But I think that's the big risk here is the backlash. I mean, consumers coming in at one time a day and getting a certain price at another time. Um, I think that could that could backfire on uh, on the company. Um, you know, that being said, too, if it is successful, um, if they keep the prices somewhat moderate and you're not seeing extreme surge pricing like we would see uh, with a weather event or something like that, maybe there's some opportunity here too. But in an environment where consumers are already pulling back and pushing back on um, uh, on pricing, uh, particularly with restaurant uh, you know, menu price increases, uh, it's a dangerous strategy right now. We're talking uh, surge pricing at Wendy's with R.J. Hadavi, head of analytical research at the foot traffic analysis firm Placer AI. If I am the competition, especially in Wendy's space, am I rubbing my hands together right now? Yeah, I think they're going to certainly watch and learn what's what's going on. Um, if this is successful, I mean, we're going to see a lot of chains do this. Uh, but at this point, I think a lot of a lot of a lot of QSR and fast food companies are, are willing to let Wendy's uh, be the first uh, first one to experiment with this and see what the reaction among consumers is. And then, where does Wendy's fall in the uh, in, in the fast food space, especially uh, in in that particular lane, the burgers and fries kind of place? Because it seems like in the last couple of years, they've really kind of leaned into quality. The brio buns, the fresh made hamburgers, and uh, trying to, to, to be maybe a little more than McDonald's or Burger King, but not quite a five guys. Yeah, I think that's kind of how they position themselves is above kind of the more mainstream QSR chains like McDonald's and Burger King and, and others. Um, maybe not quite as kind of the uh, the, the more premium uh, burgers in the space as well. But I think they've kind of found an interesting niche within these two categories, uh, between these two categories. And I think this is why they're, they're willing to try this is that, you know, test how much pricing power they have, kind of moving a little bit more upstream. Is this something that consumers are going to respond to? And, um, you yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why they are uh, at least the first to kind of experiment with this kind of model. And then, RJ, very quickly, you mentioned that uh, other QSR, quick service restaurants, uh, looked at the idea, kicked the, you know, kicked the tires on it, but never really pulled the trigger. Have there been some small-scale examples of restaurants utilizing surge pricing? Not so much on surge pricing, but it is you know, more of kind of a, this is coming out of some of the suggested ordering type uh, technologies that are out there. A lot of operators are using uh, AI to, with digital menu boards as you go through the drive through based on previous purchases or the order that you're making at that point. Maybe this can suggest another order. And I think this is kind of the groundwork for a lot of the uh, uh, you know, search pricing analytics that would be in place there. So uh, nothing really that we've seen examples of this too, but this is coming out of some of the other things that are being worked on and tested within the restaurant setting. R.J. Hadavi, head of analytical research at the foot traffic analysis firm Placer AI in Chicago. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next, the latest on home buying and selling in the Chicago area. Money conversation that pays a big dividend. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Spring is the traditional busy season in the housing market. Let's see how things are shaping up for the weeks and months ahead with Brian Wickert, president and owner of Accident Mortgage in Waukesha, Wisconsin. Brian, thank you for joining us today. And if you are uh, venturing out uh, into the Chicago home buying market, what can you expect? Uh, even though today is phony spring, uh, real spring is a couple of months, a couple of weeks away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Well, I think you can expect um, less to choose from, according to the Illinois Realtors Association. Inventory at the end of January was down twenty eight percent. Uh, and that's for the Chicago metro area, that means there are 4,000 fewer homes to choose from uh, 
uh, right now than than there was uh, a year ago. And so, it, se- it, I, seem, it seems I, like that. Yeah, it seems like that same old story, Brian, where we have uh, a lot of homeowners uh, locked into those uh, 2 and 3% mortgage rates they negotiated uh, during the depths of the COVID pandemic, and they don't want to give it up. Yeah, that, that's one had, had wind for sure. Although, you know, miraculously, 2023 was only down about 25% in home sales. It's not like it was down 100% or 50%. So roughly down 25% from the year earlier. You know, life events continue to happen. People get married. They want to buy homes. People age and they want to downsize. So while there is a drag on the willingness of people to list their homes, it still happens, just to a lesser extent. According to the S&P CoreLogic Case-Shiller uh, National Home Price Index, uh, prices at an all-time high in December, uh, up two-tenths of a percent from the month before. How does the Chicago market stack up to the national picture? I'm glad you asked that. The year-over-year number in that same report for the nation was 5.5%. And if you look at the 20 largest city composite measure, that was up 6.1. Do you want to guess whether Chicago was better or lower than the uh, average? I'm going to guess that uh, maybe Chicago was higher than the average just because of the inventory crunch here compared to some uh, warmer weather or southern markets where they have room to grow. Ding, ding, ding. You were the winner, winner, chicken dinner. Uh, (laughs) Chicago was at 8.1% among the 20 largest metro areas. That ranks Chicago as the third fastest depreciating market in the country behind only San Diego at 8.8 and Detroit at 8.3. Now, check this out, though. uh, Again, the Illinois Realtors Association has the median sales price in January up 10% from a year earlier. Eventually, the the tide will go back into the ocean. This is not exactly a bubble, but eventually there will be uh, some relief in the price pressures going on. So what can we expect going forward? Hmm. You know, I, I guess that's whoever the smart economist was that said demographics are destiny. I guess that's that'll happen when um, household formation starts to go down. And we I think we still have a pretty nice run demographically of household formation going forward. So I don't think that we're going to see it on the demand side. I think demand is going to remain strong. Um, And then supply-wise, here's what I see happening. Fannie Mae is out with their latest forecast. Current mortgage rates are around 7, 7.1. Those smart people in Washington think that mortgage rates will eventually come down to maybe around 5.8 towards the end of this year. When that happens, we're going to just have more buyers. And I don't think it's going to create more sellers. So I think it's going to be another tough slog if you're a home buyer in Chicago. Brian Wickard, president, owner, Accident Mortgage in Waukesha, Wisconsin. Thank you for joining us today. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. This is Chicago's news, traffic, and weather station, News Radio 105.9. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon, I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. A man who was part of an exchange of gunfire with Chicago police this week is now charged with a murder on the west side. Voters in the swing state of Michigan head to the polls for the Democratic and Republican presidential primaries. It's Travel Tuesday and time is running out to plan a spring trip. And there may be a circumstance when borrowing from your retirement account actually makes sense. Business, the markets are lower. The Dow is down 171 points. The Nasdaq is down 8. And the S&P 500 is down 8. 70 degrees right now in Chicago under mostly sunny skies, topping out at 77. Strong thunderstorms this afternoon and this evening. It's 1231, topping our news at the half hour. The Chicago Police Department has provided an update on the deadly shooting Friday of a security guard at a family dollar store in the West Side Austin neighborhood. The suspect was also involved in an exchange of gunfire with officers, then taken into custody over the weekend. This is Superintendent Larry Snelling. 36-year-old Roderick O'Neill has been charged with one felony count of first-degree murder, one felony count of murder, two felony counts of attempted first-degree murder, three felony counts of aggravated battery against a police officer, six misdemeanor counts of resisting, obstructing a police officer, and two issuances of a warrant. 43-year-old Lois Wright was killed by gunshots. Three other people were hurt. O'Neill is due in court today. While President Biden and former President Trump are moving steadily toward their respective party nominations, today's Michigan primary could reveal some political perils for both. The Republican frontrunner is facing a block of stubbornly persistent voters who favor his lone remaining rival, former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley, and some are skeptical about his, pro- skeptical about his prospects in a rematch of 2020 opponents. Meantime, President Biden is facing what some analysts consider an energized movement of dissolution voters upset with his handling of the war in the Middle East. They are urging voters to select uncommitted in today's Michigan primary. Now, to give you a benchmark, uh, nearly 11 percent of voters uh, voted uncommitted in 2012 when President President Obama then was running unopposed. So we'll see if uh, they match that number this evening. It's 1232 as the noon business hour continues. Markets are lower today. Welcome in Jack Ablin, Chief Investment Officer, Crescent Capital in Chicago. Jack, thank you for joining us today. And the consumer confidence number came in a little lower than expected. I mean, it seems like the consumer is still feeling good, but once again, doubts are creeping in. 
Yeah, that's it. Uh, we're seeing uh, a little weakness in consumer confidence. It was a good number last month. Uh, I think analysts had expected that trend to continue. It didn't. It's still pretty high by historical standards. Uh, we also had uh, some weak durable goods data. Uh, a lot of the fixed investments that uh, businesses make, the you know, big ticket items, things like that, cap goods, a little bit weaker than expected. Um, and then um, in house home purchases uh, up 1.5%. Uh, that's off from 2 plus percent uh, the previous quarter. So um, all in all, I would say mixed picture, slightly weaker, slightly deteriorating. We also have um, the shorter term interest rates coming down, longer term interest rates going up, and that's weighing on um, equities overall. It seems like the last two days, though, the markets have been essentially running in place. I mean, they have been lower, but uh, uh, just down by tenths of a percentage point. Uh, what are investors looking for right now? Yeah, I think they're, <clears throat> they really want to know when the Fed will start to lower interest rates. Uh, you know, what was uh, the, March, the March rate cut was something like a 90% chance as we uh, entered the middle of December. Uh, that's down to around uh, 1% or 2% now. Then the uh, May rate uh, cut uh, was also wildly expected. I think that's down to around a 10% chance now. Um, and so what was a six-rate cut, potentially up to a six-rate cut, uh, 2024, is now down to around three. And I think the sooner the Fed starts to lower rates, the better it is for most stocks, particularly smaller cap stocks, which remarkably are doing pretty well today. Uh, Macy's is announced a big uh, restructuring today. It's stock up more than 4%. It says it'll close around 150 of its struggling stores after a revenue miss in the last quarter. Uh, what does this mean for Macy's and for the retail space overall? It seems like they have the infrastructure to be a good online uh, outlet, but those uh, big department stores in, in shopping malls that have seen better days uh, look like more of an albatross than an asset. Yeah, that's it. I think we're definitely overstored uh, in this country, uh, and Macy's in particular has really latched on to malls, uh, where perhaps malls are not as uh, popular as they once were, certainly. Uh, I think the other thing that we have to keep in mind, Rob, is that over the last year or so, a lot of retailers in general, um, not just the specialty department stores, but you know, the Home Depots of the world and the Costco's and so forth have able to, were able to use the price increases to get their revenues uh, higher. So if you look at uh, a lot of the, the retailers, their sales growth was almost in line with inflation, suggesting that volume growth actually isn't expanding at all. Uh, and now that prices are starting to roll over a little bit, they're having prob little pressure on their margins, and they're going to have to start cutting costs. Some we're going to see um, perhaps layoffs. Others you can see with Macy's shutting stores. 
Jack Ablin, Chief Investment Officer, Crescent Capital in Chicago. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next in Travel Tuesday, staying safe during your spring break vacation. An economy of words. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Travel Tuesday. Still not too late to plan a spring vacation, but time is now a factor. Let's look at planning a trip and some of the important things to consider with the help of Angie Rice, co-founder of Boutique Travel Advisors based in Scottsdale. The website TravelBTA.com. Angie, thank you for joining us today. Uh, Spring break is about five or six weeks away, depending on your school schedule. And uh, if you haven't planned the trip uh, so far, now's a good time to do it. I agree. And and what are some places to, you know, outside of like, let's let's go to uh, let's go to Wisconsin for a couple of days or let's go to Galena for a couple of days. uh, What are some destinations uh, that that work out as ideal spring break trips that uh, will not necessarily break the bank? Well, you can actually find some deals in the cruise market, even during the spring break time frame. You'll find that the Caribbean is a little bit more expensive, but we're kind of in that sweet spot. If a, if a hotel is not reaching their expected occupancy level for spring break, you might see some special promotions right now, even at popular destinations throughout Mexico, the Caribbean, and perhaps even in Costa Rica, which is also a very popular destination. But it tends to sell out because the accommodations have you know less occupancy levels. When you go on a cruise or if you go to an all-inclusive, chances are you're not necessarily thinking about your own personal safety because uh, you're inside a closed environment. But uh, there have been some travel advisories in popular cruise destinations. So how should you approach that? You do have to be watchful and be conscientious. I highly recommend that when you arrive in a destination that you've pre-booked your transportation. That offers a level of certainty that you are going to be cared for by a vetted company versus a taxi or picking up a ride at the airport. That doesn't always offer the same level of safety. Oftentimes securing those accommodations through your hotel um, getting you to and from, it, it's either included or you can arrange transportation through the resorts as well, similarly with the cruise lines. And a lot of people choose to um, start and end their cruise out of Miami just to kind of avoid the logistics of having to fly into a, uh, international waters or over international waters to start their vacation. So that offers a little bit of peace of mind. And, of course, always have somebody back home in the United States obtaining the information before you depart as to where you're going, telephone numbers, any information that allows other people to know about your whereabouts is always helpful. And again, one of the things that I think we have to be conscientious about is that a lot of the violence and the crime that we hear about um, in these popular tourist destinations don't always occur in the areas where there's a lot of tourism they're happening in other de- you know parts of the city where you know it, it, it's recommended to avoid those areas even if you live in those cities so be mindful of that that sometimes we're a little bit overwhelmed thinking that it's going to be you know on the beachfront where we're vacationing and that's not always the case and typically it's not the case and then very quickly, if you are uh, considering a Disney World or, or some uh, r- more pricey family destination, are there dupes available? Is there a store brand version of that uh, marquee theme park trip that will allow you to have just as much fun for half, but for half the price? 
Well, cruises are becoming very much complementary to what Disney has to offer. I mean, there are cruise ships with a lot of entertainment for families. So that's definitely a good comparison. And I would also say some of the properties, particularly in the Bahamas, you have um, – you know, the the Atlantis, which is extremely popular, they not only have water slides and a multitude of pools, but they also have the dolphins and other entertainment. Eshkrat is very popular in the Cancun destination where they have a lot of different entertainment and parks that you, you can really do something different every day. So that's a lot of fun for families. And I would also highlight Bahamar, which is also in the Bahamas. What I like about Bahamar, it kind of gives you the best of both worlds. It is a little bit more of a luxurious property, but then it's also very accommodating to the activities that families enjoy. Angie Rice, co-founder of Boutique Travel Advisors based in Scottsdale. The website, travelbta.com. Thank you for joining us. Join us at this time tomorrow for Personal Finance Wednesday. And still to come, the pluses and minuses of taking out a loan on your 401k. This conversation that's on the money. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. There can be a temptation to turn your 401k retirement account. Uh, if you find yourself in a financial bind, let's talk about the wisdom of that with Ed Jertsen, certified financial planner, founder of the Engage Wealth Group in Chicago. Find him online at engagewealthgroup.com. Ed, thank you for joining us today. And the prevailing wisdom about touching your 401k account uh, before you retire is an emergency break glass kind of situation. But you don't necessarily have to uh draw down from that account, you can borrow against it. Exactly, Robin. We tend to take a little bit softer view when it comes to 401k and especially 401k loans. You know, we look at those as not for individuals to use us as a piggy bank, but kind of use as a last resort because there's some benefits of taking money out of your 401k as a loan rather than just withdrawing that money from your retirement account. And how do you go about doing that? Well, the first thing to do is check to see if your 401k provider actually allows for loans. And generally speaking, you can withdraw about or you can loan up to 50% of the balance up to $50,000. So that's the first place to check. The second thing that's really good about 401k loans, other than conventional loans, is the interest that you're paying for that loan is actually going back into your account rather than to the lender. So that's a positive thing. But the first step is to check with your 401k provider and see if loan provisions are available. Now, how does this uh, slow down your pace of saving? I mean, if, if you if you have your mind on retiring at a particular age, even if that age is decades down the road, uh, will borrowing against your 401k uh, prevent you from attaining that goal? Absolutely, because that money that you took out is no longer potentially growing in the market. So yes, so that could be a detriment to taking money out of your 401k where it could provide a little bit of a dent into your retirement. But if you think about it this way, Rob, if you need money and need to loan money, whether you take it out of your 401k or take it out on your own personal side, you're still in the same kind of hole. So that's something to be aware of. And lastly, Rob, the big thing for listeners is that if you take a 401k loan out and you do not pay that loan back, it's treated as a distribution. So it's not only income taxable, but if you're below 59 and a half, you're going to be subject to that excise tax. So be very judicious in its use. I was going to ask, I was just going to ask you, what are the IRS implications of borrowing against your 401k? And what kind of schedule is there to repay it? Let's say you, you do borrow against it and uh, the emergency is passed. How much time do you have to repay that loan? Is it as, so, as soon as possible? 
So the answer is balanced, Rob. Yes, absolutely. Pay it back as soon as possible. So that money, again, is working for you long term. But typically, 401k loans are done over five years. You've got about five years to pay it back. But again, please don't wait that long to pay that those funds back. Pay it back as soon as possible and prioritize that. So again, you're getting back on track in terms of saving for your retirement. And then how often does this happen? I mean, people find, you know, as we're fond of saying, life happens. You, you find yourself in a bind, a, a really a serious bind, and maybe uh, you're facing the possibility of losing your home. Um, but how often do people turn to their 401k accounts as, as a potential lifeline? Well, depending on who you talk to, Rob, that can be the easy answer. Some people are like, no, don't app, don't do it, whatever it takes. And again, for us, it's the softer side. It's like we like to look at what the cost of borrowing would be, whether it's, again, a conventional loan or a home equity line of credit. So we like to look at that. So the use rates of loans are relatively low. But again, that's because there's so much negativity attached to it. But if it's your lifeline and that's a good place to go to kind of keep you out of some more financial trouble, absolutely, at least consider that. And then you've got to weigh the ramifications along with the benefits. Ed Jertson, Certified Financial Planner, founder of the Engage Wealth Group in Chicago. Find him online at EngageWealthGroup.com. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of colors starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. We all agree that reducing carbon emissions is a good thing. And once again, Toyota is leading the way. We hear a lot about fully electric vehicles. And Toyota has them, with more coming in. But we also know a BEV is not for everyone, whether it's because of cost, range, or concern about finding a charging station when you need it. Plus, the raw materials used to manufacture batteries are limited. Enter Beyond Zero, Toyota's vision for a carbon-neutral future. In vehicles and in manufacturing plants, too, in the years ahead. The materials used to make just one long-range battery for an EV could be used to make batteries for six plug-in hybrids or 90 gas-electric hybrids. That's why Toyota's position today is electrified diversified, empowering you to choose how to reduce your own carbon footprint with the vehicle that's right for you, a hybrid, plug-in hybrid, or battery EV. So shop, learn more, and get details at toyota.com slash beyond zero. Toyota, let's go places.